Recovery Elevator, episode 394. It has been a journey, and I just really believe language creates our reality. And as part of my recovery, I kind of just started using the word surprise. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four. down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Chris. I like ice cream, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. On today's podcast, we have Christy. She's 47, lives in West Michigan, and has been sober since May of 2020. I met Christy online a few years ago through Cafe RE and finally got to meet her in person a few weeks ago at her Bozeman retreat. She's an amazing person with a shining spirit that even she can't contain. I'm excited for y'all to get to know her. And for a super smooth segue, Christy also moonlights as one of our chat hosts over in Cafe RE. A huge thank you to her and the rest of our host for the amazing job they do. I love you guys. Don't forget, we have our Ditching the Booze Mindfulness course coming up. Every Tuesday night from September 20th to October 5th, Patrick will be with us as we examine our minds and work towards freedom from alcohol. And starting October 1st, Brian C. and myself will be teaching AF Photography 101 on Saturday afternoons. We're going to dig into camera settings, composition, and how expressing yourself through photography can contribute to your recovery. I recently talked to someone who is approaching a year sober. They told me they were looking forward to this class because they've spent the last 12 months playing it safe. They've been stuck at home or stuck at work, and when they saw that we were offering this, they viewed it as an opportunity to get back out there and live life again. It was really humbling to hear that, and Brian and I are incredibly excited to get to grow with you all. You can find more information about both of these classes over at recoveryelevator.com. Before I get into the intro, let's hear from Cafe RE. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, You can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there. Thank you, Odette. All right, let's get into it. School is starting back up in most places here in the U.S. In our little town in central North Dakota, my kids are finishing their first full week as I'm recording this. At our house, the return to school is the catalyst for conversations about our expectations for our kids. We're establishing routine, figuring out chore and homework schedules, making sure everybody is clean. It's riveting stuff, really. There's also a conversation about academic expectations. This one's a bit trickier for me because I'm trying to change how I approach it. When I was growing up, and I'm certain I'm not alone here, the measure of success academically was the letter on the report card. Got an A, nice job. A B, not bad, but try to dig in. A C, what the hell's going on, Chris? Anything below that, and it was a long night for this dude. Now, to be completely fair to my parents, academically, I was capable of all A's. I just didn't do the work. Teen angst, a little ADD, who knows? But there were other things more important to me. Anyway, back to the point. My kids are kind of the same way. 
school comes easy to them. When report cards come out and we saw A's, it was always a casual, nice job, keep it up. But a while back, I heard someone talking about praising the work that a child does and not the grade. They said that recognizing the effort that they put in had a greater impact than recognizing the outcome. In preparation for our, here's what we'd like to see out of you this school year talk, I looked it up. And once you know it, someone a heck of a lot smarter than me gave it a name and neuroscientists have been studying this for over 30 years. Dr. Carol Dweck, sorry if I'm butchering your name, and her team coined the terms fixed and growth mindsets. Someone with a growth mindset views intelligence, abilities, and talents as learnable and capable of improvement through effort. On the other hand, someone with a fixed mindset views those same traits as inherently stable and unchangeable over time. The way these mindsets might show up in students is one with a performance goal and the other with a learning goal. First, let's talk about the performance goal or the fixed mindset student. They tend to believe intelligence is static. They will avoid challenges and more likely to give up when facing obstacles. Effort may be viewed as pointless because you've got it or you don't. They're not big fans of criticism or feedback and are intimidated by other people's success. Comparison is the theft of joy, y'all. It's all about that end result. These people can tend to live in their past achievements as well. What about the learning goal student, the one with the growth mindset? Well, people with a growth mindset believe that intelligence can be developed and the desire to learn takes the lead. They will embrace challenges and keep going when facing obstacles. Effort is seen as a path to mastery and feedback and criticism are something to learn from. They see lessons and inspiration in the successes of others and as a result, they will tend to reach higher levels of achievement themselves. By recognizing that we can always learn and grow tends to lead to more humility as well. These students know that they don't know at all. Now let's take this out of the classroom and apply it to our recovery. I think a lot of us have looked at our sobriety with a fixed mindset. I sure did. We felt static and said, this is just who I am. I can never change. That's a load of crap, by the way. You absolutely can change, and I believe in you. We've avoided trying to put down the bottle because it's too hard. The fear of failure has made us not want to try. We keep things to ourselves because we don't want feedback from others. And as a result, we've turned our back on our support. That was me for a very long time. It was a sad and lonely time in my life, full of pain, regret, shame, and fear. If you're there right now, I want you to know that you're loved. You can make it through this and you're worth it. One way is to start that shift in mindset. How can we apply a growth mindset to our recovery? Let's start with the goal. What's the goal? Is it to be 100% alcohol-free? That's not a bad goal, but what happens if there's a slip or a relapse? If I'm fixed on that goal, am I going to beat the hell out of myself and descend into a shame spiral for not meeting it? I think, and I'm by no means a professional here, but that to develop a growth mindset, language matters. Rephrasing what we want, asking different questions, and changing the metrics we base our success on can have a big impact on our mental health. Here are some ideas or mantras that I've picked up along the way that help foster growth in me. I can find peace in my life no matter what's happening around me. I'm going to try my best today to use healthy coping mechanisms. I want to continue to learn about myself. I'm going to celebrate the little victories because I'm creating change in my life. I'm continuing to work at a life that doesn't involve alcohol. I love myself for doing hard things and building a life I want. I can look at my mistakes and use them to learn for the future. I'm going to surround myself with people who motivate and inspire me. I would have been the first one to say, this is a lot of woo-woo crap, you just need to get after it. For some people, that tough love works, but I needed something different. The world out there is constantly ripping people to shreds, so I had to learn to embrace the growth in myself and let that be enough. Eventually, I found community and fellowship, people to help me. I don't think it's totally black and white, and we're all probably somewhere in the gray but I'm grateful to be able to continue to work to abandon these old benchmarks of success. Rather than stare at the summit I might never reach, I'm going to take a look at the path that I'm on and embrace the next step. Before we get to our interview with Christy, let's hear from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming, and no matter who we are, problems are guaranteed to arise. For me, 
Sometimes when new problems come up, I feel a bit paralyzed. It's important to assess situations and to talk to people I trust when it comes to finding solutions. I've gone from thinking I have to figure it out all on my own to asking for help when it comes to problem-solving mode. There's no better feeling than finding solutions and gaining confidence through problem-solving. A therapist can help you become a better problem-solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. Therapy has always been important to me because I need someone who can catch my blind spots and be clear with me. Someone who can see things that perhaps I'm not catching and someone that can give me professional feedback without me feeling hurt or judged. We take such good care of our bodies. The mind should be no different. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapist anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com elevator. Recovery Elevator, can you please help me welcome Christy. Christy, how the heck are you? I'm fantastic. How are you, Chris? I'm doing really well. Nice and sweaty in a warm North Dakota day, but you don't have to shovel warm, so I'm into it. So excited to have you here today. I know we've been talking about this for a while. Grateful to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Um, I have been surprised since May 5, Cinco de Mayo of 2020. Cinco de Mayo. Mm-hmm. And listeners, we talked about this a little bit before, like before we hit re- record. And what do you think? Do you want to go into Sarai's now or you want to wait until? I could talk about it. I call my AF or alcohol-free journey Sarai's. The word sober doesn't resonate with me. I just, it just, when I started learning more about the recovery community, I came across this word sober and I looked it up in the dictionary and just the sound of the word, you know, sloppy, slobber, somber, you know, I don't want to be that, you know, I don't want to be somber. I don't want to be quiet and I don't want to be sad and, and level-headed all the time. I want to be you know, I want to live life. Like I want to have my life be exciting and fun. And so I really just kind of journaled about it. And journaling has been one of my tools for many years is just, I want to live. I want to be excited about, you know, waking up every morning. So through my journaling, I came up with the word surprise. I want to be surprised. I want to be, you know, full of life and energy. And I have a beautiful life. I have a great life. I want to start living it. It has been a journey and I just really believe language creates our reality. And as part of my recovery, I kind of just started using the word surprise. So my surprise date is Cinco de Mayo. It's May 5. Did I plan that? No, (laughs) it happened. (laughs) That was my last day one. I've had many day ones, but for me, you know, surprise, it just brings me energy and light and love. Uh, a few of my surprise friends have also adopted the word. So part of my journey just began with kind of creating my own version of quote unquote, what it means to be sober or alcohol free, um, is to live surprise. I love it, Chrissy, just right out the gate before, before <laughs> we even do intros. I, I think it's absolutely perfect that we're hitting heavy with good stuff already. And it just, it makes me, it just makes me smile listeners. If I'm just like, you're, you're smiling because I just, I love the way that you've taken ownership over it. And like the, the language, like the language doesn't matter, but the language does matter. Like if it's, if it's something that is pulling you down or bothering you, like find words, find things that lift you up and you're, and you've just, just grabbed it and said, listen, this is mine. And this is what I'm calling it. And I just think it's beautiful. And yeah. So thank you. So if anybody was wondering what's the rise, (laughs) there you go. And uh, I do. um, I occasionally use that in some of my posts. I'm a part of the cafe community. And oftentimes 
I will say things like Sarai's is yours because it is, it's not just mine. It's everyone's it's free. It's for everyone to enjoy. And that's to just live an authentic life, you know, without alcohol to just live who you were meant to be, you know, and every day's new, every day's exciting because you're your authentic self. So I do use the word quite often um, in our community. I absolutely love it. Well, before we get too far into anything else, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Can you tell us where you're from, what you do for a living, uh, age, are you married, things like that? And then, of course, most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Thanks, Chris. I was born and raised and live in West Michigan. I am 47. I'm an academic advisor and communication instructor for our local community college. I have been with the college for over 12 years and have taught at other institutions as well throughout the state of Michigan. I am married and have been with him for almost 30 years, but we've been married 22 years and have two beautiful daughters Uh, who are 17 and 20 for fun. I love traveling. I love going to the beach and being outside. We live in the woods. So just to be at one with nature amongst the trees and flowers and birds, chipmunks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I have a dog. I have a cat. And I love people. I love connecting with people. Great conversation. and going on my daily walks. Awesome. I don't know why. Uh, We've been, just disclaimer, audience, Christy and I have been friends for a while. And when he said he lived in the woods, I just have this visual. I can't remember (laughs) what the heck you and I were talking about, but I kept this visual with you with a backpack leaf blower. Yes. In in the fall, (laughs) cleaning stuff out. Yes. Um, That's when I would listen to the podcast in I would all fall is when we just have, yes, we have three backpack blowers. That's yeah. That's how many leaves we have. So <laughs> we need those backpack blowers. I probably sent you a picture at one point, maybe. <laughs> it's just a weird crap that pops into my head. It's not really relative to anything, but uh, you are a welcome audience. All right, let's get into it, Christy. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with alcohol, how it started, how it progressed, how you felt along the way? Sure. Like I said, I'm from Michigan. My parents did not drink. They drank uh, wine on their anniversary, which that was the big thing in the house that they were having a bottle of wine um, for their anniversary. So they smoked cigarettes. They smoked a lot of cigarettes. Um, So I did end up picking up that habit in my teenage years. Mm. So I didn't really drink a whole lot in high school. I was very responsible, involved in student government, um, class officer. I was involved in theater My parents got divorced when I was in middle school, about sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade. And I was the oldest. So I'm the oldest and um, I have two younger brothers and we're pretty close. So my younger brothers in middle school, I assumed a lot of responsibility, you know, during the divorce and thereafter. So I kind of helped the boys get ready and packed for dads, or I made dinner. When I started to drive, I drove us um, to dads. So a lot of coordination and communication kind of went through me with my mom and my dad. So I kind of became this conduit between the two. They were not very, they were, they were, they didn't talk to each other. So I became this kind of conduit um, and also kind of another um, responsible person at home. I wasn't super involved in sports, um, but I was involved in, you know, like I said, theater, government. Um, I did like a good dance. So we'd go out dancing, my friends and I, and we, um, you know, somebody would get something, you know, from somebody and maybe it was rum or beer, vodka, purple passion was like this big, (laughs) huge two liter of like purple. I don't know. 
purple stuff. And so <laughs> I remember drinking that in the car um, at a cemetery one night, like, oh, this is a, oh, cool. Um, I don't know. So the first time I really got drunk was on Southern Comfort shots of that um, oh. in a hotel room. I know that was the first and only time I ever had Southern Comfort. <laughs> so, so when I graduated high school, my, both of my parents had remarried and I wanted to get out of Dodge. So I left for college and I was just tired. I was just tired of being responsible. I was tired of, you know, kind of putting myself out there. I know that they encouraged us to try out for play, you know, plays, you know, I was, um, in theater. I just didn't want to, I just, I was just tired. Um, student government, I didn't join any clubs. I went to school and I partied. (laughs) So, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed, um, drinking and going out and being social. And it was a lot of fun. You know, I've talked to a few people in the last, in the last month. And I feel like I I've had this recurring theme of talking with oldest siblings Mm. and and I'm the youngest of two. So I I guess I never had that experience, but yeah, you meant, you know, you had mentioned it, that you were kind of the responsible one for your siblings, as far as having that burden placed on you of communication between your parents. And I, I, I'm sure there was some like maternal roles or like a protector role over your, over your siblings as well. Sure. Being the, you know, the oldest constant between them. Yeah. And I still, sometimes I still played that role as I, as I grew, grew up. Um, and, and I don't blame my parents. My parents were doing the best they could, but in who I am, I am a hard worker. I am responsible. I can coordinate and plan things. So I think that it just was leaned upon, you know, it was just expected, you know, I did it well, kind of effortlessly. And it was just kind of expected of me to have it all together and, you know, go off to college and figure it out. I mean, I didn't have much money. Um, I had to figure it out. You know, I got loans, I worked part-time jobs. Um, I worked during the summer, so it was just an expectation. And I did, I just figured it out. So I just worked where I worked, I worked hard and I played hard. So it was encouraged. It was, I enjoyed it with my friends getting a buzz, but it was always to get a buzz. I was always, always to get a buzz. And, you know, I think when we look back on some of these things that we had to do, you know, you made a, you made a good point. It's not that nobody necessarily did anything wrong. Sometimes just recognizing why we were doing what we were doing or, or being observational about our our circumstances or situations. It just, it can, it can help identify some things. It's not necessarily that these people did something wrong or did this to me. That's it's not that it at all. Right. It was, I mean, it happened and I didn't learn about who I necessarily was until of course, much later in life. Um, I would even say recently. So I knew I liked to, to socialize And I knew I wanted a college degree. So the joke was that I would wake up and my roommates would be sleeping and I would go to bed. My roommates would still be sleeping. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I mean, I, I, the hangovers weren't incredibly bad. You know, I would wake up at 7am, take a shower, go to class, teach a class, go to the computer lab, you know, kind of pick up something quick for dinner and then meet my girlfriend at the bar. You know, it was it was just cyclical. You know, it was just, it's the way things kind of happened. We would bust out the 12 pack before going out on Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, before we went to the bars, not uncommon. When you were in college, kind of doing the work hard, party hard thing, were there, were there any consequences or any like adverse effects? Effects, is that the right way to say that? Anyway, did, did any bad stuff happen or were you able to just kind of go like a quote unquote normal college kid or Right. Right. I got caught in the dorms twice and I think I had to go, it was my freshman year. I had to go to some couple classes, you know, about alcohol use. And it was, it was a slap, you know, on the hand, it was one of those, Oh, don't get caught again, or you're going to get kicked out of the dorms. So I was like, all right, you know, that works, but I didn't, you know, 
I don't even remember. We, we walked a lot of places. We walked a lot of places or I was not the DD. So I just, you know, flat out kind of refused not having a car at college also helped. Mm. <laughs> so, but I had, I did put myself in risky situations and I was raped at, after a party and it was, you know, pretty traumatic. Um, he lived yeah. next door. So I saw him on a daily basis that school year. And it was, you know, it was because of my lifestyle. It was because I, you know, maybe flirted and, you know, I was in that situation and, um, you know, I'm not saying that he was not at fault at all, but it was because of my lifestyle. It was when, it, you know, um, eventually, you know, something bad's going to happen. So that, you know, so as I progressed with, you know, drinking and um, going to college and things like that, I just, I just kept trying. I kept it to myself. I drank more at home. I drank out with friends, but I didn't necessarily get pulled over. I went with the flow and no negative effects except for the assault really, you know, incurred. So uh, I just, I, I just want to throw in there like that's, that's terrible. And, and I'm obviously, I'm so, so sorry that that happened to you. And it's, that's, I can't imagine, I, I just can't imagine that's easy to deal with at any age, but to be young and, and vulnerable, it's, it's just, it's, uh, it sucks. And that is the understatement of the decade and yeah. nobody, like, regardless of what decisions a person is making, like no, nobody deserves that. It would be tough to, to try to sit with those feelings and, and, mm-hmm. and try to reconcile like, well, what the hell happened? And, and why did this happen to me? Do you, do you feel like there was a escalation in your, in your usage after the assault? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I did. I mean, I, I am one to not be above seeking out counseling. So I did, um, seek out help and counseling, which did help. It did help to talk about it. And I continued, you know, I numbed out. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to deal with the pain. Um, it was something that we just, you know, even girlfriends, you know, we might have talked about it one or two times, but it was, it was just not talked about, you know, amongst friends. So yeah, I just, I learned to carry on and maybe check my behavior in terms of my communication with men. I did meet my now husband in college as well, but he was, um, older than my, myself. So he'd graduated and he, so him and I had like a long distance relationship, um, on and off throughout college. And he really like drank right alongside me, you know, he, mm-hmm. you know, my family didn't drink his family did and he did. So, so it was normalized with, you know, just dating him saying, oh, okay, you know, this is how adults, you know, behave. This is what we do is we, you know, we drink and we have family reunions, we drink, you know, Christmas, we drink, you know, it was just, just kind of normalized, you know, being around, you know, and he has a great family and I I liked it. (laughs) It was, it was different. It was like, oh, okay, this is cool. I can, I can handle this. I can do this, but he, um, you know, he's a great guy and um, we just, we just became drinking buddies um, and best friends. So it was like, great, we can do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a new, uh, like a new exciting culture. And especially if it's, if you have your person, someone that you care about and that you're close with, then yeah, that's like fun to do that with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. I mean, we had a good time. We had our local pub we'd go to, we had routine and, you know, we just, we really just accepted the fact that we both drink and we like it and we like each other. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, what's the harm, you know, what's the harm. And there was really nothing, I mean, more to say about that in terms of just, it was just part of our relationship and part of, you know, our kids were around it all the time, you know, again, just thinking, well, this is just what adults do. This is, you know, and this is how, you know, and and if you enter into parenting, you know, this is how parents cope, um, is we, 
we have a hard time with teenage girls. Oh, what we drink, you know? So it's just, yeah, it was, it's just, it's been, it's been an interesting kind of road with, with my partner. So I think that can be, that's part of the reason, like one of the reasons that, that alcohol is is so slippery is because there's, I mean, what is normal? Normal doesn't exist, but, but people can slip into that kind of normal, uh, normalized drinking culture of like, yeah, we like to party, but we're raising our kids and we've got some jobs, but we like to party. And maybe there's not a, a lot of adverse consequences or, or, or bad things happening, but it, it can be such a big part of our lives. And that like that, that slip or that shift into some kind of like dicey, shitty behavior is like, is right there. But we can live in that, that space where it's just like, yeah, this is, we're just doing life. And, and we also drink it's, we can carry on like that for a real long time. And some people never make that next step and, Mm -hmm. and maybe they're fine with it, but I believe we're probably talking here because maybe there was a, maybe there was an escalation from that (laughs) quote unquote normal. Sure. And my mom, I mean, my um, mom would warn me, you know, when I was in college, you know, just, just be careful because you know about your grandmother and my grandmother was an alcoholic and she, she's, I love, I loved my grandmother. She's passed away, but, um, she, she was, she was, she raised five boys in Detroit. So she, she, she lost her husband, you know, my grandfather died at a really early age and she went back to school, became a nurse and worked third shift in psychiatric wards. So, I mean, she was almost one of the highest paid state employees in the state of Michigan because she works so much overtime. Wow. Yeah. She just amazing woman, amazing woman, but you know, drank, you know, and uh, you know, again, the work hard, play hard, you know, it's just, you know, she drank. And, um, I remember when I was 16, my brother and I drove over to Detroit, um, to visit, you know, during spring break. So we made a drive over there. It's about three hour drive. And I got to my grandmother's house and I found her passed out on the couch in the basement. She didn't hear me. She didn't hear me. She must've been working a third shift and, uh, she, she, she just didn't wake up. So I, I kept my brother in the car and I drove over to my uncle's house. So, you know, you know, so my mom would warn me, you know, remember, you know, grandma, you know, well, grandma one night, I don't know, she was drinking and she had a lit cigarette and she burned her house down Oh my gosh. and she was saved by a neighbor. And I remember her visiting us when the house was getting rebuilt and she just, she didn't have any hair because it was all burned off. Um, yeah. So, and so my mom would always say, you know, just be careful because it runs on our family, you know? And I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, (laughs) it's just, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had it under control until I did. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, there's lots of factors that go into, you know, our use and abuse and it just, and, you know, genetics is one of them. Um, I mean, I say maybe it wouldn't have happened to me if I didn't, you know, drink so much in college or X, Y, Z, but you just never know. You just never know. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate all the equalities that, you know, my family has given me, you know, genetic wise, because I have some awesome qualities that I can lean on, you know, to persevere and enjoy life and, and raise my kids. So it's, um, yeah, it's been quite a journey. Yes. Yeah. Let's keep, keep moving forward and let's get closer to that, you know, leading up to the, the May 5th or, or sure. attempts prior to that, what, what did it look like towards the, the end of your drinking before you started looking into, um, maybe, maybe I need to do something about this. Like how, how did that journey start to end and how did you progress into Sarai's? Sure. Great question. So after I had kids, I chose to stay home and work part-time. So I was able to teach, you know, on the weekends or at night. So I'd stay home with the, with the girls, which that was a decision we made together. And I loved my time at home with them. I mean, it was just so precious, you know, they could just grow up so quick, but with that comes a lot of, you know, uncertainty. It comes with a lot of self-giving and, um, not a lot of time for oneself. You know, my husband were, 
he's a very talented um, businessman and he worked a ton, you know, when the kids were growing up. So I found solace um, in drinking and I had a couple of years there where I progressed to wine, right? I was drinking beer in college and I went to wine and then probably about, I would say about eight years ago, it turned to vodka. So it just kind of gradually just progressed and progressed. So I just started, you know, kind of drinking in the afternoons or beer or wine and just pretend and hide, you know, the cans into, in the recycle bin and, um, go out and buy an extra six pack just to fill up the 12 pack in the fridge. And, you know, think about, do I have enough for tomorrow and filling up wine bottles with water? I mean, I've done it all. Just a little inventory management. It's fine. (laughs) Just, okay. This doesn't look right. I have to do this. And then he'd come home from work and I'd have dinner on the stove with just my first beer, quote unquote, and not knowing Every, it was everything else is pregame, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> um, and so I just, you know, I just kind of cooked, you know, clucked along, um, and raising the kids and everything. And then my dad suddenly died in 2007 and just suddenly just out of the blue, just, mm. he was 57. Um, that really clinched my addiction, like just out of the blue, boom, pain like no other. And I was in a dark, dark place for two years, um, of dark drinking, dark depression, depression, dark spaces just surrounded me. So I drank daily every day. And, um, again, continuing to raise my kids doing the best I can just to get through the day. We did, we've moved about six different times (laughs) throughout our, our, marriage and our family time. So during one particular move, I kind of got out of my slump, but I continued to drink. I continued to just numb out. Uh, it was, it would be perhaps a trip to the grocery store and buy an extra six pack and start drinking on the way home from the grocery store and just continuing, um, throughout the night. So I just drank to cope. I drank to, you know, but there again, I'm responsible, right? So I'm carrying out this responsible mom. I'm volunteering. I'm going to church. I'm volunteering at the school. I'm teaching my classes. You know, I've got coordinated the house. I've got, you know, the exterminator coming, you know, whatever. (laughs) I'm just (laughs) figuring it all out for everybody um, except for myself. And so I kept it secret. It was huge secret. It was just right under, just kept a secret from my family, my work, my friends. I didn't share anything. And I just, and I hated myself for it. It was just self-loathing, self-hatred. But then again, it would be a reward, right? Because I would just like give and give and give. Mm -hmm. And then like, I deserve this. I deserve, you know, a couple drinks. Um, I'm going to cook dinner again. So might as well have my vodka and, or wine or whatever I'm drinking. So, so the loneliness, the boredom, the self-loathing completely wrapped itself around the addiction. And I thought, I mean, I'm a smart person. We are smart people, right? You know, I didn't (laughs) think I had a, you know, quote unquote problem until I, you know, until I just, I couldn't cope with life anymore. I couldn't, I wasn't even living. It was just me in a shell of a person. I was just very, I was just done. I mean, it it came to a head probably 2019, 18, 19, right around that time. Mm -hmm. My husband mentioned that he was going to quit drinking. And I was like, oh, you know, I was such in this mode of like people pleasing and just such in the mode of, okay, everybody else is good. I'm good. Right. Well, he quit drinking, but I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I couldn't not have a drink, you know, during the, during the day. And I was anxious. I was judgmental. I was critical. I was hurried. You know, it was just all these things. And I'm like, I just, I can't figure this out. You know, I just, I can't figure it out. So back in 2019, um, he just, he quit drinking. And then we had another loss. We, his dad died. So, you know, we kind of went backwards again. We went backwards. 
And then I still have this inclination, like something's just not right though. Why can I not, not drink? You know, again, you have the stories of, okay, Monday, I'm going to not drink. And mm-hmm. during the week, well, that lasted until four o'clock that day, you know? <laughs> um, so Mondays are just, rough, Christy. Mondays are rough, you know? And you look yourself in the mirror and go, okay, Christy, you've got this, you know, go to work and <laughs> it's going to be all right. Yeah, you said that it it went backwards and you were starting to have these goals of like really like analyzing and and looking like having reflection on like, why can't I do this? And um, my husband mentioned the Snake in Mind book by Annie Grace. And I thought, oh, well, that, you know, that's interesting. So I picked up that book and, you know, the tagline is you can still you can keep drinking while reading this book. Now, it doesn't tell you that you're not going to remember anything. When you're drinking it and reading the book. <laughs> but I did it and I thought, oh, okay. And I never listened to podcasts. I never did before 2019. And she mentions she has this podcast. And I said, oh, well, let me try the podcast, right? On the way to work, I'm going to start listening. So I did. And um, Paul Churchill was on as an interview. E. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is a thing. Like, I didn't know anything about recovery or community or addiction, really. And I was like, really intrigued. So I kept drinking and kept listening. (laughs) So, you know, and I just, you know, I kind of just went, okay, this is, this is something interesting. This is, I need this. This is what I've been missing. This is some, there's something not right. I, there's hope like people actually do quit drinking. (laughs) It's just like, 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 wow, (laughs) you know? I don't think you're alone there. I think there's just, I I feel like it's getting better. And maybe that's just because we've inundated ourselves in this culture. But there's, I was the same way. I'm like, I don't know what this looks like. To me, anybody who had to quit drinking was, it was always worst case scenario, total disaster. And I exempted myself from, from needing to do anything because I, because I wasn't there. There was no, there was, I wasn't, it's that cliche. No, there was no bridge, no brown paper bag yet. So, but yeah, I I feel you that introduction into like people talking so openly about it and uh, through, you know, through podcasts or other storytelling means it was just like, Oh, Hey, wait a minute. It was an eye opener. It was an eye opener. And I appreciated the podcast so much. So like, you know, I would just I would listen to stories and I would, and I would hear myself through other people. And that to me, and that's a reason I came on today too, is that if I could help one person, you know, just really make that step because it was the heart quitting drinking was the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. I mean, it, it is, and it was, and it will remain (laughs) the hardest thing unless I, you know, tackle some big thing, like going to the moon or something, but I really, it was so difficult and so overwhelming. I looked up AA meetings and I didn't know what the hell opened and closed meetings Mm -hmm. meant. I, it's still the jargon of the whole community alcoholic. Another word. I don't know. I don't, I don't relate to that. It's a label. It's limiting. Um, It has those negative connotations that I don't appreciate, you know, you know, because, you know, you can call me an alcoholic. That's fine. You know, that's your jam. But to me, I'm Christy, you know, I'm in recovery. I'm not this one label of, you know, we all have different stories, but the same path, you know, it's, it's, it's just this, this progression. And I went to So I looked up these AA meetings and I drove around the block several times, you know, (laughs) um, where the church would meet, where they would meet at the church. And I just, and I didn't see the neon light. I didn't see anything. It just, it looked dark and scary. So on New Year's Eve of 2020, right? So January 1st, I was scared to death, but I joined RE. I I was so scared. I was so scared. I was just, 
anxious and scared. I don't know. Oh my God. I'm going to be called out. <laughs> I am going to be called out. Um, I'm going to join this group. Oh my gosh. They put my name as a welcome. Oh my gosh. I would just, I was just scared to death. And the same week I finally went to my first women's AA meeting that same week. And I was just, I just cried the whole night. Um, I didn't know what I was doing and they just opened their arms and said, it's okay. You know, we're here. We're going to love you until you can love yourself. It's okay. And I was just like, what, you know, like (laughs) what And the RE community and the AA, my women's group just opened up, um, their arms to me and just said, it's okay. It's okay. And the only membership requirement is a desire to stop drinking. That's it. That's it. Only a desire to stop drinking. And I was like, that's it. You know, even if I had a drink yesterday or this morning, nope, it's you're okay. You're where you belong. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, it just, oh, it just helped me so much in the beginning to be welcomed and listened to that just space was just like, this is wonderful. This is just wonderful. I just, I just, I, I started reaching out and posting more. Um, I found a small group through my RE community. Um, we kind of, st- you know, it, you know, the pan- pandemic is part of my story, right? Mm-hmm. I quit drinking in January of 2020 and returned to drinking in April of 2020 when the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, I think the whole world starting on fire. Right. Threw a lot of people for a loop. I didn't know what was what. So, and I, and I left and I, and they, just like they say, I picked up right where I left off. You know, I got my half gallon of vodka and just picked up right where I left off. And I'll tell you what I, you know, was like, okay, this is just not working. Right. I went back about four weeks. Um, had to send my Spanish exchange student back to Spain during the pandemic. They were calling the embassy. I mean, it was just a mess. My daughter missed her senior year. You know, it was again, it yes, world on fire. But yeah. I <laughs> I just was like, so I leaned into the RE community because AA shut down and they knew how to work Zoom. And I leaned into the going to the chats. And I just leaned in and we have this thing called roll call. And I said, you know what? There's a lot of us on day ones. Let's, let's get a group going. And that's where, that's where I found my people. That's where I found, I got about eight small group members here um, that we just, we connect, we connect every week um, still to this day. And that's, that's what got, that's what got me out of my last day one was uh, just a few people and they're all over the United States. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. in, but we, they're my best friends. They're the first people that saw me as me, as me. And yeah. I was like, you accept me as me? Like the, and, and I'm a hot mess because I'm withdrawing from alcohol. I don't know who I am. I, you know, I don't have any friends. There's a pandemic going on. It was just crazy. But within that small group at group and community, I was able to overcome the addiction. I was able to overcome and move through withdrawals. I was able to deal, you know, with whatever was coming my way that day (laughs) with just being accepted and loved. It was just without my small group and the community. And I keep meeting people too. And I keep making more best friends. Like it's just I just, oh, I um I just love my Sarai's life. It's just so awesome. That's beautiful, Christy. It's so, I think that just goes to show the power of connecting with people and and finding, finding that common ground. You know, I'm familiar with, with your group. I've seen a ton of pictures, like the trips that you guys have gone on. It's, I, I think it's just amazing. And it, and where did it start? It started with each of you on your own getting vulnerable and saying, I want to join a community. And again, this is not necessarily a, a, a sales pitch for Cafe RE. I mean, you can find this many places, but you guys happen to be in the same space. Individually, you got there. And then it just took, you know, one of you to say, hey, you know, we're all kind of 
same or similar day count? Like, let's, what if we walked this together? And now, you know, a couple of years later, you guys have gone on, you know, trips, camping trips and meetups and, and you guys have done some amazing things and you've got those connections and, you know, you're finding, finding ways to, you know, support each other in your goals. And it's just, it's amazing. It's, I think it's one of those beautiful things that we just, we don't see coming. It, it is. And it, and my, my reason for attending college was to make this world a better place. You know, I went into social work and communication and I just, I wanted to make the world a better place. And I feel like I have, you know, in other ways, you know, even during my drinking days, but you know, this, just this change of what I can control is making my relationships blossom. It's making, it's helping me help others with this addiction issue that, our society is just twisted. It, it's, it's not accepting. It's, um, and, it, and like you said before, it, it, it may be changing, but, and, and I hope it is, um, is just to, you know, let go of the glamorizing this thing called alcohol and, and, and making money off of people's addiction. It's just, um, I bought into the lie. I bought into it. You know, you're funner with alcohol. You're, you're more exciting. It's, you know, you're chill, all this, Mm -hmm. you know, BS that we just get fed from, you know, TV, media, our, our families, our friends, colleges. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's overwhelming. And then with connection with, you know, I didn't know about recovery. I didn't know about, you know, what AA even, I didn't even know about the steps. I didn't, I didn't find a sponsor until I was 15 months in, like, I, you know, cause I was just still, I mean, I'm recovering after over 20 years of daily drinking, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what, what am I, I get a sponsor, just wait, let me just, just chill out for a moment and get my bearings here. It's, it's, it's an awesome thing to be a part of, um, like a a movement towards just like living an authentic life and just being yourself and, and, and with people that have that same kind of underlying goal. And it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's exciting. It's wonderful. I've met other people in person, um, in Michigan and Florida and, um, Arizona, you know, I just, I just enjoy it so much. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. It is. And, uh, yeah, I think just, so cool to take, you know, you know, like you said, that to make that shift from like, oh yeah, we need booze. Like, nope, screw that. You're you're helping to lead the way to, you know, to enable others, encourage others to make that shift. And I think it's beautiful. And I think that's a great sentiment for us to head into. I cannot believe we're here already into the <laughs> into a rapid fire round. Awesome. Christy, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Sister, what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? That I was unable to cope with my own emotions and all that life throws at me. Um, that I, 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 my biggest fear was that I wouldn't be able to live. Not alone there. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a positive that you didn't expect in your life without alcohol? The calm. So if you think about how you feel with, say you're late for work, right? You're late for work and you've been late and you just, you have that hurried feeling, you know, you that feeling of being hurried, 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 because I got to get there, I got to get there and this, that, and the other. That's how I was feeling when I was drinking. Like I always felt either behind or tired or rushed, but without it, I felt so much calm, just the calm in my life. It's just this underlying flow of calm, which I just so appreciate. I like that. Number three, what is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Diet Cherry 7-Up. Diet Cherry 7-Up. I haven't had a Cherry 7-Up in a minute. So good. (laughs) Today's the day. (laughs) I'm going to give one a shot. I will field test this. Not the diet, though. I can't deal with that. Um, <laughs> what is your plan in sobriety moving forward? To continue traveling, alcohol-free travel. I plan to go to the Bozeman retreat, which I'm super excited about. Yes. I know. And perhaps to do some more speaking 
um, in writing in sobriety. Like that. Uh, what is your favorite resource in recovery? It could be a book, app, uh, organization, whatever. My favorite is by far my recovery friendships. So my recovery friendships have been incredible as a source of strength and excitement and interest and just the whole gamut. It's just, it's my recovery friendships and I can't thank them enough. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And what is a technique that you use when you find yourself with a craving? Mm, play the tape forward is <laughs> my go-to is play the tape forward. Um, it wouldn't be just the one, you know, I would probably enjoy the one, maybe the one, maybe the two, maybe three, right? Drinks. Um, you get that nice buzz going, but you know, play the tape forward. Christy, would it really end at two drinks? I think not. <laughs> I think yeah. not. Just, yeah. Creating that pause. I would early on, I would drive to the liquor store and sit in the parking lot in my car and just wait. Yeah. <laughs> just wait. That takes strength. Sometimes I would, sometimes I would leave without alcohol. Sometimes I wouldn't, you know. It's all part of the process. Exactly. What parting piece of guidance can you give our listeners who are either in recovery or thinking about uh, quitting drinking? Make recovery yours. Make recovery yours. We are all, we all got here at different, we're all different humans. We're all different. We have different experiences with our family, how we were raised, different parts of the world, make recovery yours. What is going to make the difference for you? And step a little bit outside your comfort zone, you know, just a little bit to continue that growth um, as a human being is just, just be you, be you and embrace Sarai's. I think that's beautiful. That's, that's beautiful, Christine. And last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze if flying? If you're packing up a cooler full of alcoholic beverages in the morning while you're packing up your lunch to go to work and you leave it in your car so you can save time and start drinking on the way home with a cold one. <laughs> it might be time. Might be time. Just go back in time and send that message to me circa like 2012. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've all been there. Well, some, a lot of us. Um, sister, I just want to thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for you. You've, you've, you've helped me today. I know you're going to help people and it's just, you're an amazing person. And I, I just love what you're doing with your Sarai's, your ownership of it, the way you advocate for yourself and for others. It's it's a magical thing, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, and I'm grateful to have you. I am grateful for you, Chris. And thank you for inviting me to share my story. To ha uh, have a story is to have a self. So keep sharing, everyone. Yes. All right. I love you, sister. Thank you. Love you. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Christy. You're going to help a lot of people today. This next week, team, I want to encourage you to take a look at your mindset. Ask yourself, without judgment, are you holding on to absolutes? What is your measure for success? Do you find fulfillment in the achievement or the process? Wherever you are, it's okay. Show yourself grace as you dig into this stuff. It's helpful to know where we honestly are today if we want to grow. How can you change the narrative to propel yourself forward rather than shackle yourself to old ideas? There's a moment of surrendering to the process where we can burst into freedom. That freedom comes from letting go of old ideas. We don't need those where we're going. We're the only ones that can do this RE, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.
finding your true purpose stuff, being the authentic you, being truly happy, none of that can happen without the in your life. Don't take my word for it. Take a look at your past. Get clear. Be clear on why you're doing this. And then, go get it. What's really stopping?